Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 153 and it's 14th of February 2021. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty good because of the news we're going to be talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's like the main Star Wars significant event that's happened for me. Um, But yeah, I know you've, in a much happier way, enjoyed Star Wars by rewatching The Last Jedi, haven't you, Kirsty? Yes, I was researching for for our episode. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't need to watch it again. I was like, I've seen this movie so many times, I could talk about it and... And all the stuff around it as its release, perfectly fine. But I like the movie, so I'm going to watch it again. (laughs) Exactly. If the opportunity is there, you've got to take it. (laughs) And just to reassure people, I have also rewatched The Last Jedi. I just did it a few weeks ago. Um, Because, yeah, this week apparently it's just all all been about watching those MCU movies for WandaVision. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) So, yeah, that's been my life. But, yeah, let's move into our news. So... Would you be able to read out the article I have here about a certain Gina Carano, Kirsty? Yeah, this is from The Hollywood Reporter. I'm sure lots of people have read it already, but just as a refresher. Gina Carano is fired from Star Wars. UTA has also dropped the actor, who will no longer be part of the Star Wars galaxy. Gina Carano will not be returning to The Mandalorian or the Star Wars galaxy after sharing a post on social media implying that being a Republican today is like being Jewish during the Holocaust. God, it's, it's hard to read that out, honestly. Yeah, it's I, just disgusting, really. Yeah. Uh, Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, and there are no plans for her to be in the future, a Lucasfilm spokesperson said in a statement. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. According to sources, Lucasfilm planned to unveil Carano as the star of her own Disney Plus series during a December Investors Day presentation, but scrapped those plans following her November tweets. Multiple Mandalorian spin-offs are in the works from executive producers Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, including Rangers of the New Republic, which could have potentially starred Carano. But after the latest round of social media posts, the decision to cut ties with the actor came swiftly. What a dodged bullet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of seemed clear at the time, right? Remember when they they gave that Investors Day presentation and it was kind of strange how they were announcing all of these shows with the cast attached and that one wasn't? Yeah. And it just seemed like, oh, that was probably going to be her show. And mm. at the time, I remember wondering if that meant that she'd been dropped or if rather cynically I thought maybe they were waiting for the controversy to die down and people to sort of forget about it not that we would but maybe some people would and then announce her later on um so I'm glad to see that I was wrong on about that yeah no definitely like so I think when we were both watching the last season of the Mandalorian they were not subtle about dropping hints that like Cara Dune was going to have her own separate story you know there's all this stuff about her being like begged to be like a more active part of the New Republic you know and fighting for that cause Mm. and like every time one of those scenes happened I was like please don't do this please don't do this please don't do this and yeah by the point that we were watching the season Gina had already been posting very questionable things like about election fraud and about the pandemic and eventually eventually some really disgusting transphobic stuff so yeah she was the last person i wanted to see in her own series to be honest 
And aside from her dreadful behaviour in real life, it just... I, I never really was convinced by her performance, you know? Like, I never really found anything authentic or compelling in it and really she's just not a very good actress so yeah it's a really good move to be honest I think it should have been made sooner I would have preferred if the whole fandom could have just been spared this like horrible drawn out waiting period you know where it's like are they going to pull the trigger is she going to stay how much is she going to be involved going forward you know I hated having to constantly think about those questions because yeah for us it was really a lot about the integrity of the company as a whole you know whether they did the right thing in relation to Gina so well it took them a long time I'm glad they made the right decision and got rid of her in the end yeah there's a quote here um, in the article that says they've been looking for a reason to fire her for two months and today was the final straw Uh, so I guess they had been aware of it for a long time and just weren't making a decision either way which i don't know how that works with the notion of like having the show in mind and then scrapping it i can't quite work out how these things all work together but i also i don't want to waste any more brain cells on it i'm just i just don't want to think about this woman again she's hurt so many fans so needlessly and that's partly as you say why it's been frustrating that they hadn't said anything sooner because that could have spared a lot of fans the anxiety and frankly like the way that she's been tweeting has made people feel unsafe because she's been emboldening and exciting the worst parts of this fandom um we really i i'm guilty of this myself we should stop calling these people fans because they're not they're completely monetized and hijacked um so much of the discourse that to make it like not even about star wars anymore to to make it about making other fans feel unsafe and unwelcome. And it's just, I'm sick of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's one of the grossest parts that in all this, Gina clearly considers those segments of the fandom like her protectors and she's praised them on multiple occasions. And it wouldn't surprise me if she gives an interview to one of them, to be honest. Like I know she has in the past, so. Like, who knows what she might say going forward. Um, but yeah, whatever she says to them, whatever involvement she has with them, I won't be watching. Like, I really just hope she, like, fades into total obscurity at this point. Because, yeah, she's just shown that she delights in mocking people, that she has no respect for people who are different from herself. And, yeah, she was just a disgrace to Star Wars, to be honest. So, yeah, it was the only decision that could have been made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate this whole thing had to happen and be dragged out as long as it was. But like you say, I'm at least relieved that Disney eventually made this choice. Yeah, exactly. So I, like when the final straw post, I'll call it, I don't want to go into what it's about again. Like when that came out, that was like a pretty rough day, you know, on Twitter. So people were obviously absolutely disgusted. And I really desperately wanted to believe that Lucasfilm would do the right thing and fire her but because they hadn't done that in the past I couldn't count on that so then when I woke up the next morning and Kirsty had sent me a message saying this will make you happy <laughs> I was like oh thank god so yeah that was a nice thing to wake up to yeah like you I was totally sure that it would be just another thing that they would look the other way on because 
as far as we were concerned, as people who were not familiar with the insiders and of Lucasfilm, that's what we thought was going on, that they were just kind of ignoring it um, because yeah. we hadn't heard anything for months. So I was like, is this post in particular going to be the thing that changes their mind? I don't know. It's all been terrible. So Yeah. No, it shows that they do have some level of principle. So. I don't even... I, I'm hesitant to even... I, you know, when I say this, I know that there are lots of good people at Lucasfilm and I know I can tell from people's posts on social media that a lot of people there have been disgusted with what's been going on. So yeah. it's not about people as individuals, but as the company, I don't think it's a moral decision. I think it's kind of a brand integrity decision. I think it became so uh, controversial and people people wouldn't stop talking about it. That's the thing. If we had all stopped talking about it, I think they would have been hoping they would just die down and they could carry on. Or at least they could cut ties with her without having to actually commit to a statement because this statement has angered a lot of those people who were supporting her. Yeah. So I'm really hesitant to give them too much credit in terms of it being a moral choice um, as the company as a whole. You know, at at the end of the day, it's about protecting their brand and their bottom line. So Yeah. No, I, I think you're right, actually. These companies aren't driven by morals at the end of the day. I think they're driven by the bottom line, aren't they? And mm. yeah, it was just toxic for them at this point. You know, it's not the publicity that any company wants. So yeah, it was selfishly in their interests to make a moral decision, I think, in this case. So yeah, it's the nature of these big businesses, isn't it? It's very mm-hmm. much about the PR and what that's like. Yeah. Anyway, good riddance. Exactly. Good riddance. Have fun making your movies for Ben Shapiro, Gina. I hope that brings you lots of joy. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't actually. Um, I'm probably going to cut that <laughs> out. I wish no joy to you. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> exactly. I, I wish you continued obscurity. Yeah, it's definitely the time to move on from Gina Carano for good, thankfully. And yeah, let's talk on a much more positive note about what's quite possibly the best Star Wars film or at least the best sequel trilogy film and I'm not completely committed either way to Last Jedi or Force Awakens because I honestly do love both of them but it's a tough race because they're both great basically (laughs) so I'm excited to talk about The Last Jedi. How excited are you to talk about The Last Jedi again Kirsty? I think The Last Jedi is my happy place in Star Wars fandom. Yay! That's what I like to hear. Oh, it's so nice to revisit this time. And yeah, like we did with The Force Awakens, we're going to go through the like build up to the movie. Um, and obviously that's going to take quite a different shape because the build up to The Last Jedi was heavily informed by what people saw in The Force Awakens. So yeah, we're going to start there basically with what people got from The Force Awakens and then continue how those responses informed the development of the fandom up until the actual release of The Last Jedi. So yeah, hopefully it will be interesting. I am very aware though that our podcast started um, like I think about halfway through 2016. So people can hear us talk about most of what we're going to discuss here in more detail in our podcasts. If like goodness forbid you go back and listen to those ancient podcasts. Um, but yeah, hopefully it will be interesting to hear us talk about them with a fresh perspective. Yeah, I guess I, I can't really remember going back a couple of years, the the tone and manner in which we approach things. So mm. maybe I'll be remembering things incorrectly. I don't know. Sorry if that happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure listeners will come back to us if we like 
completely misrepresent how something played out. There's a lot to cover. You know, I was looking through the notes here and it's like this, it was like two years of stuff and content official and, and discussion and like fandom creation and everything. And there was so much. And there were all of those like tie-in books that came in and kind of rocked people's worlds. Like, do you remember when Bloodline was released and people were like, okay, so Ray definitely can't be their daughter because Leia doesn't think of her a single time. You know, all stuff that we take for granted now, but it was like a big revelation when that book dropped. Yeah. And things like the moment when we found out that Hux was called Armitage Hux. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Exactly. As Kirsty said, this is very much going to be scraping the surface of everything that happened in that period because we could do like an eight hour podcast, honestly, if we wanted to go into more depth about everything. But no one, hopefully, would want to listen to that. So we're going to try and keep it a bit more condensed. Um... Yeah, so what I wanted to do, Kirsty, with preparing these notes is I attempted to give it some balance. So obviously for both of us, our experience of the fandom in between Force Awakens and The Last Jedi was heavily informed by us being participants in the Raylo side of the fandom. Mm. And obviously it's not like that's like a complete bubble. You know, we were aware of other parts of fandom and what they were saying and what discussions were going on there. But I didn't just want this to be about like Raylo or Raylo perspectives. Although I will admit that there's going to be quite a bit of that. So I hope people don't mind. Um, but yeah, like, how do you feel about that, Kirsty? Like, given a balance to the different aspects of the fandom in that period? I think that's true to our experiences. Because, like you say, even though that was kind of our reading of The Force Awakens, as we said last week, and of what we thought might be going on in the next movie, it was still interesting to see what other people took out of the force awakens and what they hoped to see and inevitably there were clashes going on as there still are in terms of what people like and dislike in these stories so yeah i think it's definitely worth mentioning all that stuff yeah exactly so we want to get through this and there's a lot to cover so what i'd like to start out with is some very very early predictions that people had for episode eight straight after they saw force awakens basically because obviously force awakens ends on that famous cliffhanger with ray on the cliff edge holding out the saber to luke and at that point nobody knew how it was going to be followed up basically so there were all sorts of ideas for how that moment could go down and how the other characters stories could evolve as well so using all my research capabilities i went to reddit specifically the star wars subreddit and I found top voted comments, so because that suggests which comments had more of a consensus, basically. Um, and yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to see what people were predicting solely on the basis of Force Awakens. So yeah, could you read out the first comment I've highlighted, Kirsty? Mm. I'm hoping that we see Kylo Ren and Snoke training. Dark side training would be very interesting to see, and it could make for a twisted parallel to Luke and Yoda's training. Yeah, and that one's interesting to me because I saw that so often, like people desperately wanting to see like lots and lots of training sequences with Kylo and also separately with Rey and Luke. Like it reflects a very different desire from what my personal desires were, so I wasn't particularly interested in seeing the characters train. Hmm. You know, I was curious about seeing the character relationships evolve. But yeah, it was a very popular thought process, I think. I think it is interesting because I think we do see training 
from the dark side in The Last Jedi, but I don't know if it's what people expected because I always kind of assumed that dark side training would be basically abuse, you mm. know? Um, yeah. And I, I do think that's what we see between Kylo and Snoke in their first scene together. Um, so you do get a parallel there with how Luke and Rey are interacting because he's teaching her to be more connected to the Force and Snoke is kind of... What is it that he says to Rey at the end? Like, he's stoked Ren's conflict. And that was yes. him intentionally doing that. Like, he was making him more unsure of himself, angrier, um, less secure. Yeah. Which And then he was already at a low point because he'd already had him kill his father. Like, I do think that's kind of dark side training as, as you'd expect to see it because... I mean, what, are you going to see him, like, doing an obstacle course or something? <laughs> I don't yeah, think but that's, that's the really... thing. I think that people honestly expected something more literal, you know, because I do agree with you that there is that psychological training. Snoke, when he's tormenting Kylo and Rey at the end of the film in the throne room, like, he's very much making it clear that forging this connection with Rey and Kylo was a form of training for Kylo, you know? It was about testing him and using him for his own purposes and at the end of that training he finds Kylo worthy because of what he's seen him do basically so that's basically Kylo has passed the training at that point you know and he's ready to ascend to the next level so to speak um and yeah it definitely is training I just feel like people might have expected a few more backflips and some <laughs> scenes of him like jousting with the knights and stuff you know what I mean though that would have been I've fun just... I guess <laughs> I, I I would have liked it it would have been like fun but yeah it's just not the most essential character building stuff and yeah but yes yeah, an interesting thought um yeah so I'll read out the next one so this other person said I would like to see a number of things Ray creating a saber and training with Luke Poe and Finn on an adventure space battle more emphasis on Poe and the others in his squadron Kylo creating a mask from Vader's old one. I do not get that at all. Sorry. Isn't that something that happens in Trevorrow's script? I feel it might be. Yeah, I think you're right. Which, yeah, who's probably reading Reddit just like JJ. <laughs> um, BB-8 and R2 having jokes, which I think is really sweet. Bless him. <laughs> uh, and then Luke reunited with Leia, which did happen. So mm -hmm. I'm pleased that happened for this person. Um, and yeah, like, a lot of these things do happen. I just feel like in keeping with the wider approach that Ryan has in The Last Jedi, these things, they probably didn't play out in the way that most people would have expected. Um, yeah, and it's just interesting to look at a list like this because of how it lists things that like, I think did happen in the film, much like that whole Kylo Ren and Snoke training thing. But I'm just not sure they happened in the way that people would have expected them to happen. Which, yeah, is just an interesting thing to know. I wonder how these people would have felt after seeing The Last Jedi and comparing it to their expectations. Hmm. This is not going to go the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> Truer than anyone could have imagined. <laughs> I think you're right, because we get, you know, Finn's adventure and we get Poe's space battle and everything, but they're, they're there but they're vehicles for really interesting character work that people might not have expected and weren't quite sure what to take away from that, at least on first viewing. I think it shook people a bit. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think a good word to describe The Last Jedi is challenging. I think it's very much about you getting to question all the tropes of a Star Wars film and, yeah, just a big blockbuster. So, yeah, like, and that's not for everyone, but obviously we both loved how it did that. So, yeah, love it. Yeah, so when Ryan was talking about the writing process, he said that the first thing he did was kind of write down on a napkin what he thought might challenge each of the characters the most, right? So that's a really interesting place to start, especially after The Force Awakens, where it's quite clean cut at its ending and people think they know where they stand. Exactly. Um, okay, cool. Could you read out this final set of predictions, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. I want Kylo to beat Rey, so we know the blast bolt on his side is what helped her win that fight. I don't want him to just straight overpower her, but I do want her to convincingly lose. I then want Luke to save her, and basically be incredibly strong, to the point of just toying with Kylo. Every fight we see Luke in, he's just a boy who either gets his hand cut off or gets saved by his daddy. I want to see him whip up on Kylo while trying to save him, of course. But yeah, I want to see an uber-strong, green-saber-wielding Luke. Speaking of Kylo, I want him to transition like Luke did. In TFA, he was pretty similar to an ESB Luke. He was supremely confident in his abilities, but was prone to emotional outbursts. I want him to transition more to a calmer and more calculated dark side Luke from ROTJ. I want to know Rey's lineage. I definitely don't want them to put it off until episode 9. Dangling something like that for two movies would be infuriating. I want to see Finn and Poe go on some sort of adventure. Maybe even Finn learning how to be a damn good pilot. I do not want Finn to just sleep through all of episode 8 like a lazy bum. He and Poe have great chemistry, get them together and doing stuff for Leia. I want to see Rey and Kylo training, like a Rocky Four montage where we see Rey and Luke meditating or calmly going over saber technique, then cut to Kylo savagely attacking something or force choking someone, then cut back to Luke and Rey, etc. I want Phasma to prove to be a badass. They hyped her up a lot, but she was kind of a pushover in the movie. You don't get Gwendolyn Christie to play a pushover. Basically, I want a lot, but I'm hoping they can deliver. <laughs> I'm so sorry, this poor person. <laughs> Again, I think it's about perspective because it's not like it's not like they got nothing they wanted. They got a Luke and Kylo confrontation, and I think Luke's a badass in that situation. Comes out, you know, the ending to Luke's story is amazing, but I guess not everyone sees it that way. And I think like with this set of predictions in particular because they are more detailed they're obviously more prone to be disappointed because it's one thing to say that you want Luke to be incredibly strong but when you get into the point of defining that like where he's going to like whip up on Kylo which I presume means like beat him down with his lightsaber or something but he didn't need to he outsmarted him (laughs) no exactly which is the point but I still know so many people who were very disappointed by that pacifist stance on Luke. And I like and I understand the argument, even though I don't agree with it. Um, but yeah, like I know that how they did handle Luke in the end wasn't for everyone. And I just find it so fascinating to see these very early expectations where people literally had no idea what was coming at them. Yeah, I, I think it's quite interesting the juxtaposition here of Oh, we we don't want Rey to have been too powerful, so we need to see her lose convincingly. But then I want Luke to sweep in and save her by being incredibly strong. <laughs> like, okay. And I also like that there's lots of shade on like Luke in the original trilogy, even. 
You know, it's basically saying he's just a boy who either gets his hand cut off or gets saved by his daddy. But it's like, that's the point of the character. (laughs) (laughs) So the point of the character is that he does not use violence. It's not about him using a saber. Um, And yeah, it's just so fascinating to me, isn't it? I guess with Star Wars, the fan base is so, so huge. And people get all sorts of different messages and ideas and concepts from these movies and these characters. You know, and I think reading the predictions of fans, unlike myself, that demonstrates that very powerfully. Yeah. I mean, I I agree with them on things like Finn and Poe having great chemistry. And we do see them interact quite a bit in the movie, I think. But maybe that still wasn't enough for some people. Maybe some people genuinely were disappointed that it wasn't Poe that got to go on the adventure. But I, I love that. I mean, I did not really anticipate that Poe would get so much of a subplot to himself and I can't believe how invested The Last Jedi made me in Poe but that was the success of the movie you know they really deepened that character and Oscar gave an amazing performance he has a real arc which you know I wasn't going into it expecting necessarily until they started talking about it that that was one of the approaches that they had Uh, I didn't know what to expect from that character yeah, no, in Force Awakens, Poe's a great character, but he's very much like a device used to get Finn from one place to another place. Um, yeah, and in Last Jedi, he really has his own story. So yeah, like I really like what they did there. Um, but yeah, so those are the very early ideas that people had straight off seeing Force Awakens. Um, and as much as I hate to do this, <laughs> Kirsty, I do think we quickly need to acknowledge just how huge the parentage discourse was. Because, uh, like, I I was, like, pretty sure they were going to be cousins early on. Like, even early in my Raylo days, to be honest. I was like, this can't be real. Um, but more to come on that later. Um, but yeah, it was very common for, like, various theories, basically. So I found an article from io9 that summarised no less than 24 theories... <laughs> about Ray's potential parentage. Some of them are ridiculous, and originally I did include some of the ridiculous ones, like Shimmy Skywalker being Ray's mother, and don't even ask. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I decided we don't have time for that, basically. It's funny, but we literally don't have time for that. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to talk through the reasoning between the two main parentage theories, I'd say. And I know there's also Ray Kenobi, which is huge. But I feel like that's opening a big can of worms to go into Ray Kenobi. <laughs> and we could always do a whole other episode on Ray Kenobi, so I'm just not going to do that here. Um, but yeah, I'll just read out the rationale behind the idea that Luke is Ray's parent, basically. Um, and luckily, this write-up does also include why that might not be the case. <laughs> but yeah, we'll go more into that in a moment. So, Luke... Obviously, the Star Wars movies have always been about the Skywalkers, so why would Rey, the star of the new trilogy, be some random girl? Fans of this extremely prevalent theory point out Rey's giant, nascent force powers, the strange looks Han and Leia gave her when she's introduced, (laughs) and Luke's tears upon her arrival. Opponents of the theory point out the same evidence, explaining that the solution is so obvious it can't possibly be true. To be fair to the Lucists, Frey's parentage was at least partially conceived by J.J. Abrams, who also chose Benedict Cumberbatch to play the most obvious character possible in Star Trek Into Darkness, and also seemingly thought he'd tricked the world. (laughs) 
On the other hand, if Luke was willing to abandon his five-year-old daughter on a desert planet for any reason, the sequel trilogy has a much, much bigger problem. And yeah, like, this was like the curse throughout the whole two-year period, basically. So it was so common, so many people were convinced that Luke was her daddy. And yeah, it was just a big hill to climb. Yeah, I don't even know what to say because I just, I didn't understand why this stuff was like the core of what had been taken away from the first movie. And I think it bums me out even more now because I can kind of, I don't know for sure, but I think that the audience's reaction to The Force Awakens in terms of this being their main takeaway eventually ended up shaping how JJ chose to approach Nine. Mm. I think you're right. And that is sad. Yeah, it is sad because I don't think... I mean, I know he never expected to come back for Nine and I don't want to talk about it too much here because obviously we'll talk about it next time. But I just don't think that's a great approach to storytelling if you're like paying too much attention, however subconsciously, to the reaction from the audience as it's going along. And I'll never really understand why this was... And maybe it does kind of come down to Rey being a female character and her being in some people's eyes, too powerful. Although that, of course, was explained by the rest of the story in terms of her and Ben having that connection and everything. Um, I just don't know why it needed to be, oh, well, it must be because she's related to someone else. Or why should we care about this character unless she's related to someone else? You, you couldn't care about Ray just because of who she was? Like, I did. And lots of people did. She's a great character. Daisy gave an amazing performance. Like it stands on its own. I don't, I don't know. It all, it kind of bums me out. <laughs> it is a shame. Yeah. And I think an, another element feeding into this being a very common read on the film and a very common interpretation of what was going to happen in the next film is just because of that huge stamp in the cultural memory that there is of the whole I'm your father moment, you know, because that had like what 40 years to percolate in people's minds you know and it really did become a defining aspect of what star wars is you know the surprise parentage reveal Mm. and i think for better or for worse that really has like fed into how people interpret all the stories since so i hate to say it but even with things like rogue one and solo there were like all sorts of ideas about how the characters could be related to other characters Mm. (laughs) can you remember all the like kira's raised mum (laughs) theorizing yeah and Jin Erso as well yeah exactly so yeah for better or for worse I think it's just too deeply entrenched to get ejected easily but I really hope going forward people can move beyond it it's like they really do need to be able to tell stories that aren't just relying on these genetic connections between characters because it's like come on guys yeah <laughs> that um I am your father thing Ryan was talking about that as well in terms of like why he ended up choosing to go with Ray Nobody because I think he did he did say like that he went through all the possibilities of who her parents could be and then decided well what's the hardest thing that Ray could hear in this moment it's actually the opposite of what Luke hears because he hears that Vader's his father and he has this idealized version of his father in his head but wouldn't it be more satisfying and more challenging for Ray as a character to hear that she actually has to find her own way and she's not going to get an easy answer here. And it's what Kylo ends up, presumably because he's not secure enough in the idea that Rey would choose to be with him for himself at that point, 
he like tells her that she's nothing but not to him so that she would feel like she had a home with him i don't i think it works so well for the story that we get but i also i understand why people would be like let's have ray reunited with her family and have her happy ending in that sense so why wouldn't it be someone that we already know and care about but that's just not where the story went so yeah and i think that's a credit to ryan that he made the decision to make her a nobody based on the needs of the character rather than the needs of the franchise or the needs of the legacy of star wars you know like that shows that he really was interested in these new characters and telling their stories which yeah that's why i love him so much yeah i know i don't i know we shouldn't be talking about the movie itself too much right now but there was some discussion after the movie came out that like the final act means that Luke's kind of taking the attention away from Rey as the main character. But I think that ending is really important for Rey's, the arc that she does get here, which is coming to believe in herself and her own identity and not constantly looking for validation from mentor figures or her imaginary parents that she's still hoping to be reunited with, Um, that she comes into her own and then she lifts those rocks and she realizes that she has everything that she needs already um i think that's really great for the character i think it works really well but you know it's not going to please everyone (laughs) exactly um and yeah just quickly it was a very dominant theory um there was also unfortunately (laughs) the theory that she was the daughter of hannah leia could you quickly read out the blurb we have about that kirsty A lot of people really, really want Rey and Kylo Ren to be related. They want the fight for the galaxy to come down to brother versus sister. They need it. So their solution is that Han and Leia had another kid after Ben, and when Ben went crazy, they hid little Rey on Jakku to keep her safe. Again, a planet full of criminals, scavengers, and limited food resources. This has the same problem as Luke, in that Leia and Han would have to be either severely terrible people or total idiots to abandon their child. (laughs) Bonus points for Han, though, who apparently spent the last decade or so searching for his ship, the Millennium Falcon, but not his daughter. <laughs> I do think that's a nice burn at the end, I must say. <laughs> I guess the rationale there could be like, well, if he knows that the Millennium Falcon was abandoned in the same place as his daughter. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure someone tried to argue that. In a way, I kind of understand Han and Leia's daughter more than Luke's. Because mm. I, obviously I don't think there's a reason to get that from the force awakens itself but i feel like a sibling relationship would be more compelling than cousins who maybe weren't even that close <laughs> growing up and of course it would be probably a big factor there was probably people's eu expectations right the, yeah. the whole solo siblings rivalry. So Jana and jason thing yeah yeah, yeah. no so i think that was heavily informative and yeah you're right like where's the drama and like two cousins one who's 10 years older than the other like being pitted against each other (laughs) i don't think that's like a recognizable storytelling trope in the way that star-crossed lovers or sibling rivals is right yeah (laughs) the twins thing again like obviously it's based on the eu but people were even thinking that ray and kylo could be twins despite the fact that we already knew that there was a 10-year age gap I guess it's a credit to how young Adam looks, isn't it? So (laughs) good for him. This is again just kind of my projecting, but I sometimes got the impression from people who were really adamant on these theories, and there's nothing wrong with having a theory. I I sometimes thought that it was because they knew deep down that if they weren't related, it was probably going to be Raylo. You know, like they're either they're going to come together somehow. So it's either through 
the family connection or they're, they're actually just going to like fall in love. So there's got to be some kind of emotional <laughs> thing there. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, okay, but it's time to move on to the Jedi Council Forum, which is one of the largest Star Wars fan forums on the internet. And for our purposes in this discussion, it's very important as it's one of the like origin points of the Raylo fandom, I'd say. Tumblr was also highly important and it was sort of developing parallel to all this. Um, but because Tumblr has a really bad interface, it's very difficult to go back and find posts from certain periods of time. So it was honestly easier to look at this thread and track things there. And yeah, it was very weird for me to revisit this thread, go to page one, which started on like 20th of December 2015, and find a post from myself on that first page of this ridiculously long thread about Raylo. Um, and yeah, I think this is going to sound very like, oh, I'm so important. But I think my post on that first page of the Raylo thread was the first post really defending the idea and saying there might be something in it. But yeah, that's a weird feeling. And I'm definitely not the first person to ship Raylo or have the idea that that might be a thing. No, oh, I think people had already published Meta by this point. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. People are very quick off the mark in fandom. <laughs> but yeah, on this particular thread, I was one of the people who stepped in to like, speak out about it. So I, I, this is going to be very embarrassing. I haven't read this since I wrote it like five years ago. So I'm really sorry if I sound dumb or stupid. <laughs> and I know I will. Um, okay, so actually, I don't think this idea is as left field as it might sound. Kylo is very clearly fascinated and intrigued by Rey, and there are heavy hints that he had past dealings with her, likely when she was a small child and he was a teenager. <laughs> oh god, or past me, this is so embarrassing. While Rey represents the light side of the Force, Kylo represents the dark. I can see them playing with that and having each person tempted by the qualities and powers of the other. So I can see Rey coming to be drawn by the elements of Kylo's power, perhaps after learning something about her past that causes her to abandon Luke in her Jedi training. In Kylo continuing to be troubled and disturbed by his attraction to the light side of the Force, as embodied by Rey. You could easily put a romantic bend on this, but I doubt they'd go there since they're almost certainly going to be related. <laughs> Cousins in all likelihood. It amuses me that they set up this kind of dynamic, however. They were clearly asking for people to ship them the moment they had Kylo sweep Ray up in his arms. They clearly learned nothing from Luke and Leia, and they, unlike Ray and Kylo, weren't even meant to be related at the outset of the original trilogy. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I'm see, so Rachel, you should have had faith. <laughs> I should have. You know, you can just tell I was being gaslit reading this. You know, I was reading all the people convinced that she was Luke's daughter. And I was just like, yeah, I guess they must be related. Yeah, you know, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, actually, because I know mm -hmm. the term gaslit gets kind of thrown around to the point of it doesn't mean anything these days. Mm. But it is kind of what happened. And I don't know. Some people, I doubt that was like the intention. But some people were so against this idea, hated it so much, that they really did like treat you like as if you were insane or just completely immoral for thinking that this was where the story was going to go. And, you know, the, the points that people had against it a lot of the time, I could see where they were coming from. And I hoped that the story itself would kind of address them. And it actually didn't end up addressing a lot of them in the end. Like, it turns out that it, it didn't matter that Kylo merged all those people. It only seemed to matter to Ray that <laughs> he killed Han. <laughs> no one else. Whatever. 
<laughs> Meh. Um, so a lot of things, I, I get why people were like, how could this be okay? Because it turns out that I don't think the story really challenged a lot of them. It just turns out that they didn't matter to Ray. It wasn't the point of the story. It was a fairy tale, as we've been saying. So I get why people had aversions to it. But to me, it seemed like the only possible way it could go. They were using way too many of these tropes. That would have been just completely careless of them to be going with such full-on imagery um, if they were, if they weren't going to do anything with it. So Definitely. And yeah, on that note, um, would you care to read out the response to um, yeah. my post, Kirsty? <laughs> yes, give me flashbacks. Kylo is a psychopath who killed his own father, Han, in capital letters, tortured numerous people and executed, at least as far as we are shown, at least one village load of innocent people on Jakku. I can understand the appeal of the bad boy who would need to be saved or whatever, but seriously, I would prefer Ray to fall in love with Snoke. He seems slightly more intelligent and in control than this emotionally and physically abusive creep. Never mind his luscious locks and translucent pale skin. Thank God they didn't give him orange eyes as well in this film. If Ray goes down the slippery slope of darkness, though, and matches him in his attributes, then they deserve each other. Yep, so lovely, as you can tell. At least this person isn't attacking you, to be fair, because that happened a lot as well. That did happen a lot, yeah. The other one is not quite as strongly phrased, but it does move slightly into that gaslighting territory. Um, where they say the idea that there were sexual undertones to the interrogation scene involving Kylo and Rey is just the work of people's overactive imaginations um, and yeah obviously it wasn't um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I do think that some people were asses about it but it also it was undertones so to me it was blatant because I recognised those tropes from other stories but if you're not that if you're not a fan of those kind of stories then maybe it would kind of pass you by. Or you'd think, well, it's just a kind of coincidence that matches this other thing, but this is Star Wars. Things like that don't happen in Star Wars. Because Rey and Kylo's relationship is pretty different from the other relationships that we've had in the Star Wars movies, right? Yeah, 100%. Which I think is why it attracted such like a really strong, passionate following in its own right. Because I think the Raylo community is like a subset of the wider Star Wars community, but like some like many subcultures it's also very distinct you know it's got like a really clearly defined identity that in many ways is quite separate from that of the more mainstream Star Wars fandom whatever that is and yeah I, I think people's preferences for certain types of stories and certain character types and the priorities they have when it comes to the stories they enjoy I think all of those things distinguish the people who might define themselves as Raylos as opposed to, I'm a Star Wars fan in a general sense, you know? Mm. I think a lot of people also, coming back to like the hoping that Rey would turn out to be Luke's daughter, they kind of just wanted Luke to have a happy ending as well. Because I think even in The Force Awakens, people maybe didn't want to admit it to themselves, but they could kind of see where it was going in terms of like what Han says about Kylo ruining everything and betraying Luke. And then Luke's alone on this island. It's like, wouldn't it be nice if his long lost daughter showed up and cheered him up? Yeah. Because nothing else is going right for him. I think people could kind of see where things were going for Luke and wanted there to be a way out of that for him. And I can sympathize with that. 
Yeah, I think that's really true. Because, yeah, like, I think there was this real idea that that would be the redemption for Luke, you know, by Ray turning up and, like, him being reunited with his daughter, like, proving himself as a father. You know, and I can understand why that would be a powerful and meaningful story for people, especially people who'd grown up with Luke and really loved him. You know, so I think for them, they, like, identified with Luke once upon a time. And if their parents themselves, for example, they might identify with Luke as a parent and that sort of thing, you know, and want him to be that sort of character. So I think that's all completely valid. And I do understand and sympathise with people's disappointment. I think yeah it just all got very heated I think it's safe to say you know and there wasn't always the best behavior like even to be honest sometimes from the railer side you know like it got ugly sometimes basically because people were very passionate about their views and that thread had over a thousand pages by the time that it was closed down basically and tens of thousands of responses you know which is a sign of how strongly people felt about it um and yeah it's an interesting piece of history basically that thread if anyone is interested in the history of the early Raylo fandom that thread is a must read going back to what you said there about ray showing up and and kind of being luke's redemption i do think that's what we get that's mm. the thing it's just maybe not exactly what people wanted because i think it almost it helps in that situation that she is a nobody that she isn't involved in the skywalkers at least like she wasn't involved as a skywalker like historically right that she comes in and she's new and she challenges their ideas um because luke really has this like they have these discussions about legacy and being a legend and everything and and she's the counterpart to that and he can see that she's just as strong as ben despite not being one of them the Skywalker blood like this is all in the story it makes it makes a big point of these things no, exactly no I think it's honestly a more nuanced portrait of all this than could have been expected so I think in some ways it was like the easy route you know to make them related you know and it's kind of like what many people expected but I think in terms of creating a more original type of story like it's much more interesting to have them be separate and have that relationship be founded on more what does this person represent what does this person signify to me you know it's becomes a much more archetypal story in that way so yeah i love last jedi so good <laughs> um and yeah just in a sign of how pervasive you know this belief that kylo and ray were related was um i went back to the earliest Raylo stories on archive of our own and most of which were posted in december 2015 Although there were a few that were posted in November, presumably from people just like riffing off trailers and stuff. So good for them. They had excellent foresight. Um, and yeah, these are just indicative. If they do end up being related, consider this an AU. If it turns out to be incest later, I'll add the tag. But will I care? Nope. I love that one. AU. Ray and Kylo are not related. I love that they're already really <laughs> labeling it in AU, even though it's not confirmed they're related. Um... And then, yeah, until proven related, I will ship this. I ship them to hell and back. I don't care of incest. Lol lol. And yeah, we don't need to say much about that. I just found them quite charming. So yeah, I enjoyed that insight. I think they're charming, but I don't know if this is just me becoming too cynical over the years of fandom, but I almost feel like people put these in as like, just to ward off people who would then attack them for it. 
Like, yeah, I know they'll probably end up being related. Who cares? I'm talking about this as an AU. Leave me alone. Yeah. It's a bit of like a defense mechanism because I I think what's also important to say is there was obviously pushback to the idea of Raylo on this Jedi Council forum. But there was also a different type of pushback that was emerging in more like typical shipping spaces like Tumblr. So there was like a very strong anti-Raylo community um, around this time already. Um, and yeah, like it's, I'm trying to think how to articulate this so that anyone can understand it. Um, but yeah, whereas like on Jedi Council Forum, people were opposed to Raylo largely because they assumed that the characters were related and largely because they thought that Kylo Ren was evil and abusive. Like those were the main arguments you'd find. You did also find those arguments on in Tumblr anti Raylo communities. But there was also another aspect where where it was kind of blurred with shipping wars because some people would be anti Raylo and they didn't always be straight about this, but it was often what happened. They were anti Raylo in part because they shipped Kylo with someone else. Um and yeah, it all just got a bit ridiculous. Oh, you're talking about Kylux. I thought you were going to go with Finray. Yeah, like it goes both ways. Actually, you're right. It was also about shipping Ray with other people. Like these sorts of things are very complicated, and it's also impossible to talk about these things without generalizing. You know, not every single anti-Raylo account or individual had the same approach to it or the same motivations for why they disliked the ship. You know, and I don't mean to like invalidate everyone's objections for broad brush because that's not fair and is also not the purpose of this conversation. Um, yeah, the main reason to bring it in is because it was a very influential movement in, t- in shaping fan discourse because a lot of the sh- pro Raylo shipping discourse was often like founded as like a response to the complaints that were raised by the anti Raylos. Would you say that's fair, Kirsty? Yeah, I think people couldn't help but be extremely aware, and even to this day, of like what people who hate the ship or have certain problems with it think, because things get circulated, and there are people out there who target people who think things that they don't appreciate, and it just it gets very muddled, and it was hard to avoid things, you know? And it's not like a... I think very early on, I wasn't necessarily trying to avoid it because I did think that people were raising interesting issues. It's like, yeah, I am kind of curious how they're going to approach the fact that Kylo's done terrible things within the context of the story. And Ray probably will raise issue with some of those things. What I was surprised about, I guess we'll talk about this more going into The Last Jedi, is, you know, that she raises that issue of him killing Han. She doesn't raise the issue of him hurting Finn. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to bring this up in later on with Finn's injury and everything. But, you know, I really like Finn and Rose's story in The Last Jedi. I think they gave amazing performances. I love that subplot. But there's certain parallels and stuff that I really... I kind of wish that Ryan had explored further. And um, there's certain choices made around some of Finn's mannerisms and the way he's kind of presented at the beginning when he's first getting out of his back-to-suit and everything that's like... It's it's played for laughs, basically, in ways that I kind of... I, I think I would have preferred something a bit deeper. Yeah. And I, I think John would have, too. Yeah, no, definitely. There's like a fair argument to be made that he didn't 
like quite get enough dignity, especially in that scene where he's like in the heel back to suit. And yeah, that's just a joke scene, you know. And John, I think, does an admiral admirable job in that early moment. He's still very serious, he's playing it straight, you know, he's disorientated, he's desperately concerned for Ray, you know, and all that's genuine and comes from a real place. But yeah, I feel like that could have been more given more attention than the like joke element of it. Um yeah, so we'll hopefully yeah. have more of a discussion about that sort of thing later on. Yeah, so let's move on. So they announced the new cast members. So Benicio del Toro, Laura Dern, and most importantly, Kelly Marie Tran, um, at, and the start of production on the film in February 2016. So that was really where the ball started rolling, essentially, with the like actual realisation of The Last Jedi itself. So that was a very exciting moment. Um, and yeah, I remember that we didn't really know anything about the characters they'd be playing at that point, but it was still cool to know that new people were going to be involved. And yeah, especially another completely new face, because I think one of the best things Force Awakens did was introduce, you know, people like Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, who, like John, had more acting experience than Daisy, but they were both still relatively fresh, you know, and it was nice to see them headline in this big budget blockbuster yeah i i think it can't have been too long after this i guess when they started filming in dubrovnik that we started getting pretty strong rumors that kelly was playing finn's love interest yes i think it was about that time yeah um yeah those set pictures from dubrovnik were definitely some of the earliest like tangible evidence of the film and yeah i just remember looking at those pictures and being like what is this film gonna be (laughs) It was so weird. So obviously you'd, we just saw like all these people dressed in like formal wear and like sparks flying. And yeah, it's because they were filming like a crash scene. And it's so funny. It's in the film itself. That's like a blink and you'll miss it moment, you know, mm. of the ship crashing. But at the time, like we all felt this was going to be like a huge set piece moment. And yeah, it's just interesting how your perception is skewed when you're watching the things be filmed. Yeah, it was... It, it, it was giving us like prequel vibes, I thought, like more so than anything else, I think, in the sequel trilogy. Wasn't there a rumour at some point? Didn't someone think that someone on the set there looked like Donor, like Hux was going to show up in Dubrovnik? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely a thing. Uh, like everyone was rumoured to be in Dubrovnik, I think. There were rumours that Kylo and Ray were going to be there and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just remembered that, like, I think maybe Mark Hamill visited the set or something and people thought that Luke was going to show up there. (laughs) So he was going to be, people were like, oh, so he definitely leaves the island. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now I remember that really well. And wow, did that set set people up for disappointment. (laughs) That's such a weird image, isn't it? The idea of Luke being on the island. My God. Hmm. Yeah, it struck me last night while I was rewatching. I was like, I loved all of these new characters you know, I think they work together in the subplot so well, like Kelly and Benicio with Finn and um, and Laura Dern as Holdo. Like, I love her and Poe's interactions. I think they're so great. And Leia's, of course. Yeah, no, exactly. Ryan had that great idea of giving each of the like main hero characters their like separate foils. And yeah, it worked so great. Like each one of them had like a very different flavor and it was really nicely done. Um. And yeah, like, so a few months into the filming, um, they started filming in Ireland and we had lots and lots of reports out of Ireland. But I remember one of the most exciting days being when all over the media were pictures of 
Daisy Ridley, Mark Hamill, and most importantly, Adam Driver flying into Ireland to film the movie. And it was huge at the time that Adam was with them because people were like, why is Kylo going to be on the island with Luke and Ray? <laughs> <gasps> you know, and there was all sorts of theorising. And yeah, what do you remember of that time, Kirsty? I remember that funny, there was a really strong spoiler <laughs> that turned out to be complete BS that like Kylo and the Knights of Ren show up. Yep. And Luke <laughs> kicks the kicks all of the Knights of Ren's asses in one go. <laughs> and Kylo goes after Rey and she like falls off a cliff or something. <laughs> <laughs> and most importantly, Kylo Ren dives in to save her. <laughs> no, I don't think that was part of the spoiler. I it think that wasn't, was, it wasn't. That, but was, that was speculation that came afterwards. Yeah. Um, and what's so funny is that now we know that Adam was just there to film the Force Bond scenes with Daisy so that she had her actual scene partner with her, even though, of course... He wouldn't be filmed in those moments. They'd film his side uh, at a totally different location. But totally makes sense. He had to be there. So, yeah. Yeah, very funny in hindsight. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Kirsty, knowing that, you know, knowing that they were playing off each other in person for those scenes on the island, it really, really makes me want to see the B-roll of those scenes. Because that means there's lots and lots of footage of Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley on the island, you know, doing those force bond scenes. I guess I'd want to know if they'd make him take his shirt off in the freezing Irish weather. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like to get the true impact of Daisy's response to that, I think they must have. (laughs) No, that'd be a slightly cruel and unusual punishment, wouldn't it? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, But yeah, at the same time that they were in Ireland filming, we got one of the very few reliable spoiler reports from the set of The Last Jedi. Um, and yeah, that was from Reddit and a guy called Boffin the Spy. And this was posted in May 2016. Would you be able to read out the report, Kirsty? A couple of weeks ago, I posted a little bit of info about Acto being confirmed as the location of the first Jedi temple. Specifically, the large hut they built at Kerry is where the Jedi began. I also mentioned a certain member of the First Order winds up at this location in Episode 8 as well. That individual is Kylo Ren. Here's the saucy bit. A few weeks ago, they blew up, specifically blew apart, an Acto hut. According to my source, Kylo and Rey have a conversation that Luke does not like. Luke tries to stop them. He gets angry, and the whole hut therein disintegrates, re blows up. My source did not specify as to the exact cause of the disintegration, but based on the info, I believe Luke accidentally, or perhaps even purposefully does so, using the Force. Do you remember when this came out, Kirsty? Oh, yes. <laughs> this was huge. Yeah, it was massive. And I feel like for me, it was a real turning point. So it was the first time where I was like, I really think they're doing it. I honestly think that they're going there with the Kylo and Ray stuff. You know, and I was possibly play- pinning too much hope on it. But I really did have high hopes that this was really starting to go in the direction that I was hoping it would. And yeah, we were proven right in relation to this because Boffin's spy was 100% correct. This did happen. And yeah, I'm still so pleased that this spoiler was out there because it gave lots of fuel for discussion. Yeah, the funny thing is that there's no clue here as to like the actual level of intimacy that that final scene has. It's mm. just that they're having a conversation. They could have been talking about anything. But <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's Luke walking in and like not being happy about it that does play into certain tropes doesn't it it's yeah exactly the dad finding the teenage daughter doing something she shouldn't be doing (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And it, uh, this is like another thing entirely, but I still can't believe that that was an actual practical effect, that they really did have that hut fall apart. Pretty amazing. Yeah, no, the behind the scenes from that, I think you see it in the documentary for Last Jedi, yeah. and it looks incredible. It was so cool. Yeah, so they d- they filmed that before even going to Ireland and having the rest of the Force Bond scenes, I guess, because that was one they really could do together. Yeah. While the filming was going on, we all... all- Actually, I'm not sure if they'd wrapped, maybe, by the time Celebration happened. But if they had wrapped, they'd only just wrapped, basically, when Celebration occurred. Because Celebration was unusually late in 2016. It happened in July. I won't go into it in detail again, but it's where Kirsty and I met in person for the first time. So that was awesome. But yeah, there was a panel there by Ryan. It wasn't just Ryan. It was all of the future filmmakers. You're right. A lot of them (laughs) just didn't turn out. (laughs) The not-so-future filmmakers. Yeah, no, it's true though. Um, yeah, so it was part of the Future Filmmakers panel, which included people who were not Ryan Johnson, but they ended up not being part of Star Wars really for the most part. So Ryan Johnson's talk was the one that was most important. Um, and yeah, he didn't go into detail about the film because obviously it was still such a long way off release, but he did name a bunch of films that influenced him and that he got the team working on the film to watch. And this was another exciting moment in the run-up to the film. So we had so little to go on. And so we were craving any like clues and bits of information we could get. There were a bunch of films he mentioned. But the ones of those that I have seen are Let Another Scent and Free Outlaw Samurai. And yeah, I remember mining a lot from Let Another Scent. I wrote like a whole meta about it. And that was a fun time. I enjoyed that period. Yeah, you can definitely see the influence that that film had on own story right yes in terms of the cinematography the landscape of act two you wrote a meta that ryan actually read and liked right <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> <laughs> sorry this sounds like false modesty um but yeah no i i think i like cheekily tagged him in the meta addressing you know he didn't just come across it on the internet but i can't remember if he just liked the tweet or if he actually responded but there was right. some kind of interaction and it's like validation so yeah that was a good moment because i was reading a lot into it because basically there's lots of like intimacy between the characters in letter of ascent and my take was oh i think some of this might translate to episode eight as well and yeah it was great when that did actually prove to translate so yeah it was awesome i mean there's an actual scene where the female character is caught off guard by the <laughs> shirtless guy <laughs> It's true. <laughs> yes. So true. Oh my goodness. Um, And yeah, then on, on a sadder note, unfortunately, Carrie Fisher passed away in December of 2016. So they had finished filming by that point and all of Leia's scenes were complete. But obviously it was a huge blow. You know, like it was very shocking news that almost came out of nowhere. And yeah, like in relation to the film itself, I think it did reconfigure people's expectations because suddenly people weren't sure what would happen to Leia's work in that film you know people weren't sure if there might be changes so that Leia passed away in the film itself and we all know what happened Ryan I think very wisely made the choice to stick to his original conception of the story but yeah that was a big discussion in fandom over the most appropriate way of handling that character yeah what do you remember about that time Kirsty? It was obviously devastating news. Mm. Everyone was yeah. really upset. You know, everyone still misses Carrie so much. 
Um, she gives such a wonderful performance in this movie, I think. And I, I really loved what Ryan did with that character in terms of allowing her to pass the torch to Poe. Um, and I also appreciate the little quiet moments we get of her grieving Han because I don't think I touched on this last week when we were talking about The Force Awakens and kind of what might have changed for us in terms of like now the story's been told, what hits differently. But I think I'm a lot sadder about Han and Leia's relationship now that we have the whole story, yeah. which surprises me in a way. Because I kind of, I guess I wasn't like, oh, I'm definitely super confident that these characters are going to get a happy ending but i must have been on some level because i'm kind of just i'm sad now that they were separated by the time we meet them again in the force awakens and they're never truly reunited yeah you know they are very briefly to have a conversation about their son and then she sends him off and then that's it and and things are happening so quickly for leia that she just has these little quiet moments in the last jedi and i appreciate that they're there they're my childhood otp and i'm always going to be a bit sad about Han and Leia now yeah it is really tragic and also of course Ryan couldn't have known this he couldn't have known what would happen after they finished filming but if he had I doubt he would have ultimately made the choice to have Leia in a coma for a lot of the movie because I think that everything was hinging on episode 9 being her part of the story with Ben coming home yeah no 100% and I think what Carrie does in The Last Jedi is really beautiful it's a wonderful performance but yeah I'm sure that no one more so than Ryan is aware of the different choices that could have been made if he'd known that that was the last time that Carrie would pay, play Leia so obviously she is in Rise of Skywalker but at the same time it's not really you know it's just recycled footage from an earlier movie and that that's not JJ Abrams' fault, you know. Obviously, he had to work with what he had. Yeah, it was just a awful, awful situation all round. Yeah, I could tell from the interviews that were coming out and the behind the scenes stuff that we do get from Carrie that she was proud of her performance in this and really enjoyed working with Ryan. So that was great. Yeah. And she, you know, she helped him with the script. So yeah which is wonderful. Carrie like is so underrated in terms of her creative contributions to stalls like she did have like really strong opinions that really helped to make that dialogue much snappier and better just all around so yeah she's a real legend and definitely missed um yeah cool so then moving forward to may 2017 um we had celebration again <laughs> because it came around very quickly i remember that quite well um, and yeah, there were all sorts of interviews and promotional material coming out. Um, and yeah, my defining memory of that period is probably that teaser poster reveal. Um, because it was just the most incredible poster. It was a huge red vista. And then it's this huge Kylo Ren face on one side, this huge Luke face on the other side. And then a tiny ray at the bottom and splitting the two faces with the light from her saber. And it just perfectly fed into our personal interpretations of that story. Yeah, I thought the, the teaser was interesting in some details because we got that shot of Kylo's smashed helmet, which I think shot quite a few people. Stuff like that, you know, quite yeah. striking imagery that would kind of give you a hint as to where things were going. Because that tells you something. It's not just about this thing literally happening, but that, 
you would see a lot more of Adam Driver's face as Kylo Ren. I think that tells you something about where that character might be going. Yeah, that's true, because that was still very much an unknown at the point that Celebration happened. I think there were a lot of us who were afraid he'd be kept in the helmet for most of the movie, and yeah, that didn't turn out to be the case. Yeah, and how it ends as well. Again, I guess looking back, now we have the movie and we've had it for so long, you take certain things for granted, but when Luke says it's time for the Jedi to end, I think that must have been quite shocking for people who hadn't considered where he might be emotionally at this point. That yeah. he just he's so defeated and doesn't see a way to train anyone again and, and have faith in the Jedi Order. So Yeah. I remember seeing a lot of like rationalizations of that. Basically people being like, Oh well he's gonna start out the movie with that idea, but then he's gonna change his mind, which is literally what happens in the movie. Yes, exactly. So that was accurate, <laughs> but yeah, for a lot of people that doesn't seem to be what they took from the movie, which is strange to me, but that's a separate discussion for another time. So Yeah. We'll get to that stuff later. But yeah, it is interesting how so much of um people's perceptions of the movie are based on like things that happen earlier in it and not necessarily about where the characters end up. Yes, exactly. Um, yep, yeah, cool. And then we also had some stuff from Celebration um, about Finn and his role in the movie. Um, could you read out the bits of the interview that you have, Kirsty? Yeah, I think this is from Entertainment Weekly. Um, Finn's in a bad way at the end of Seven. He has a lot of issues. He got slashed with a saber and that took him down real hard, so he's in a coma, the actor says. That suit, that whole thing helps him to recover, but we're not sure whether that means he'll wake up. There's some additional few things that need to be done to make him mobile. He's definitely in a place where he needs some help. It's a grounding injury. It's going to take him some time to get back on the ball, but when he does, oh, he does. There's something else Star Wars fans should know. Recovering from a lightsaber wound is a more arduous process than most other injuries. Once it's in, it continues to burn the skin and the cells. It's not a piece of flame that whacks your body. It's not something that works like a stab wound. It's really brutal, the actor says. So this kind of stuck in my mind as I was watching The Last Jedi again. I remember when this interview came out because it got me kind of excited about potential parallels that they would explore between Finn having his scar and Kylo having his scar. Um, which ultimately I don't think are there in the movie, although it, it could have easily been an earlier idea that they played around with and then it just didn't kind of work out with the pacing. Um, but I think this might be an early hint of John's kind of reservations about the character's arc um, because it kind of reminds me of the way Mark Hamill was talking about things and kind of trying to add his own depth where he felt it might be lacking. Um, and actors must come up with backstories and extra psychological elements for the characters that don't quite make it into the text all the time, right, as a way to improve their performance. But I think for Finn, ultimately this stuff does not make it in, and all of that stuff around his recovery is primarily humorous, at least by intent. Like, as you said earlier, I think John is playing it straight because Finn himself is obviously confused about where he is and not feeling his best and is concerned about Ray, but in the manner it's presented it's meant to be kind of funny um and I, I just think that I, as I talked about last time with The Force Awakens and the Kylo and Finn parallels I, I think that there could have been more there yeah no definitely and I think your read on this being like John like imbuing it with meaning when that really doesn't come across in the film 
that's definitely true because yeah I remember you know these comments come out and fans do like take them very seriously you know and they read a lot into them and yeah like I think it like didn't reflect how Finn's arc actually plays out in the film so yeah like I think when you read comments like this and then connect them to the much more recent interviews John has given about his feelings about his arc in the Star Wars films and his reservations about how he was characterised. Like, I think, yeah, you can definitely see that he would have preferred things to go differently, basically, you know, and would have preferred for that story to have been framed in a different light. And, yeah, I I feel bad for him because, yeah, I, I do wonder about how much these concerns were raised and stuff, and I'm sure he did raise them. But, yeah, I think Ryan was very like clear that he had this certain vision that he wanted to fulfill and I think that's really great from like authorial perspective you know that he has this strong idea about how the story should go you know and he's very clear on that but I think sometimes it is helpful to like take on board that feedback from the actors. It is and you know Ryan's talked about the process and how things kind of shifted as he was exploring ideas that um Finn and Poe were originally going to maybe go on that adventure together and as he was kind of writing their dialogue he got to that point he realized that he wasn't able to make them distinct enough you couldn't always tell who was talking and that I think is like a leftover problem from the concepts of The Force Awakens where JJ had originally designed Poe to die earlier on when they crash landed on Jakku and Finn was going to be the primary male hero suddenly you have that role almost split in two how do you make those characters different? And I think Ryan, in giving them both a subplot in The Last Jedi, succeeds there to the extent that he can. But in giving Poe that extra screen time, because it's what the actor deserves and and what the character deserves at that point, if you're going to keep him alive, you need to do something interesting with him. That ends up spreading things thinner for the other cast members. Um, So... Yeah, I think there were maybe problems earlier on that kind of snowballed that weren't necessarily anticipated. Yeah, no, it's a shame. It's like, I totally understand why they gave, like, Poe his own, like, clearly defined arc, you know, and his own development in the film. It's like, it does make him a much richer and more interesting character, but it definitely does take away that emphasis that Finn might have otherwise gotten. And, yeah, that's a real shame for John, to be honest, because... Like he's such a talented actor, he could have really brought it, you know, if there were more time for developing Finn's story and Rose's story as well, because obviously they're so intertwined in this movie. On the upside, I think John was genuinely very enthusiastic about Kelly being a new member of the cast and working with her. Like he had so many nice things to say about her, and it was just wonderful seeing her on the the, the tour circuit as well like when she was first introduced to celebration and they were doing all of those interviews together it was clear that they were being introduced as characters who would spend a lot of time together um yeah. so they were giving interviews together at celebration and kind of on from there i've got one here that says um it's john saying there's a mission that needs to be accomplished and finn and rose go off on an amazing adventure together and that in itself gives birth to new things and kelly's sitting next to him and she's like oh <gasps> It's like, <laughs> are you giving away too much there? Because I think he's hinting at um, a romantic relationship forming between those two characters. Yeah, it is this sort of thing where it's a shame that we're just a podcast because I think seeing the visual of Kelly's face in that moment like just says it all. It's so wonderful, you know, the excitement on her face. Um, 
and yeah like it's just lovely to revisit that like early enthusiasm for that relationship with Finn and Rose um because yeah like it is absolutely the like main romantic thread or the most explicit main romantic thread in the movie you know and I think they develop that relationship with them really well and yeah it's a really great part of the film Mm -hmm. I agree Okay, so on the subject of romance in The Last Jedi, we have to quickly address what is now known as Romance Gate. Could you explain what Romance Gate was to people, Kirsty? Yeah, so when they do the Vanity Fair coverage, they obviously have a lot of like articles that don't make it necessarily into the magazine itself, but they have all the online things. They they bring out so many of them at the time it's always kind of hard to keep track. But there was one that was called Five Things That Are Not in The Last Jedi. And it included a big central to the plot romance. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, man. Like, honestly, I'm slightly trepidatious about talking about this because this was a bad, bad time to be in Raylo fandom. Like, there was like full scale panic for quite some time there. Um,. And yeah, it's quite funny looking back because I'll just read out the actual words in the Vanity Fair article. So the author says, For all the fan fiction fantasies of Ray Lou, an imagined union of Daisy Ridley's Ray and Adam Driver's Kylo Ren, or Storm Pilot, the same for John Boyega's ex-Stormtrooper Finn and Oscar Isaac's pi- pilot Poe Dameron, Johnson says The Last Jedi offers... No one-to-one equivalent of the hand-to-layer, burning, unrequited love. In our story, that's not a centrepiece. And this just led to the whole fandom, like, having a freak out, basically. <laughs> and I understand why, because it did sound pretty bad at the time, to be honest. Because, like, in the Raylo community especially, people had really been pinning their hopes on this being the movie where that became clear that that was the direction they were going in. And this seemed to point away from that. I don't. I don't even know if it's Raylo specifically. I think if you shipped anything, like even you know, if you sh- they're not mentioned here, but if you ship Finn and Ray, and then you heard there's no romance, you'd be like, oh, what? Yeah, no, it's true. And this seems especially weird in light of Finn Rose as well. So again, I know they weren't explicitly talking about Finn Rose at this point, even though they were hinting at it, because. That's pretty clearly like a love story, you know, it it ends with a kiss in The Last Jedi. And obviously it's not a Han and Leia style love story. So I think that's what Ryan Johnson meant. You know, he was very literal in just saying there's not a love story like Han and Leia in this film, you know, but it was sort of generalized to mean more than that. That's the thing. I think Ryan makes a very careful statement about what it's not. Like it's it's not the same as Han and Leia because it's not. And then all of the rest of the stuff that's mentioned there is kind of the writer building something around it. Yeah. Um, yes, Ryan being a bit of a troll. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Playing with people's feelings. Yeah. Can you remember how you felt about this at the time, Kirsty? I was very confused because, as we've said, by this point, we had the stuff about the hut scene and we'd had spoilers and official hints that Finn Rose was going to be a thing. So I was like, oh, I don't know what to think now. I guess I'm going to have rock bottom expectations <laughs> yeah which you know you can argue like maybe that's a good thing because it meant that i was like ultimately very pleasantly surprised by the movie itself but it, it it was just like oh i really thought things were going in a certain way but i guess not so that's a bit of a bummer but 
Yeah. So I think it can't be stressed enough how different the build up to this movie was from the build up to The Force Awakens. Because with The Force Awakens, we basically had the whole plot of the film available to read by anyone who was interested about eight months before the movie came out. With The Last Jedi, that never happened. There were a few spoiler reports that proved to be accurate, like the Boffin Spy one. But the whole movie didn't leak until it actually started screening in December of 2017. So people really just didn't know what was coming. And that was quite a scary time for that reason. (laughs) Because it really could have been anything. And yeah, it felt kind of miraculous when we found out what the movie actually was. Because yeah, I think it blew us away in terms of its boldness and its creative ambition. So yeah, it was really nice. Because I feel like after this particular like comment about lack of romance came out I think the next few months were a period of very much downplaying expectations being like look guys we can't expect too much from this film blah 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 and then in December it's like wow expectations sure have been met and that was a nice feeling yeah and I guess just in general when you're talking about like the difference in atmosphere like leading up to the movie Obviously, for me personally, it couldn't have been more different. Like, I didn't really care about The Force Awakens. I mm. didn't have any expectations for that movie. It was just like going to another movie. And this one, I don't think I've ever been more excited about a movie in my life and probably never will be. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can't be stated and, enough, really. And I think in general, like, you know, beyond myself, the fandom, of course, people were incredibly excited for The Force Awakens. It was the first Star Wars movie in 10 years. But... The Last Jedi was different because it had introduced these characters and now people had specific hopes for them in a way yeah. that, you know, you didn't really know with The Force Awakens, unless you'd like read all the spoilers, but even then you hadn't got super attached to them as personalities. But people got, you know, people fell in love with them in The yeah. Force Awakens, all of these characters, and wanted only good things for them. And that can't happen in a darker middle chapter. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, things were always going to be challenged. These characters were going to go through the ringer. And it's understandable that lots of fans don't like seeing that. They want to skip to the happy ending. Yeah, exactly. And I think in terms of the fan experience, my memory is also of just that whole month of May being a complete roller coaster because we had celebration at the start of May. And then at the end of May is when the Vanity Fair coverage came out, basically. And the start of May was like this absolute high because we had the amazing teaser poster. We had the teaser trailer. We had all these very encouraging interviews. We had like all sorts of publicity. You know, it was all very exciting. And then it's like all the excitement fell off a cliff (laughs) through Manscaped. And then it was like gradually climbing back up the cliff throughout the rest of the year. So, yeah, an interesting time. I guess that was a good thing because if you had seven months of that pure hype, <laughs> you'd oh, have man. been exhausted. Yeah, no, I don't think I would have been able to function as a normal adult. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good thing, really. And yeah, then as the year proceeded and we got closer to the movie, we did start to get much more promising <laughs> interviews coming oh, yeah. out. Now I'm thinking about this, actually. Mm-hmm. So you're you're going to talk here about how there was more of an emphasis from September onwards for the Ray and Kylo relationship. I remember very early on, it was all about Luke and Ray's relationship yes, and how right. that was the heart of the movie. And that's not a lie. Obviously, Luke and Ray have a huge amount of interaction within the movie itself. And 
that's kind of the bulk of Luke's arc in terms of how he's working things out with what happened in the past with Rey and how she kind of inspires him to return to, you know, the known world and everything. Um, But there was very little to go on at that point about the Rey and Kylo stuff specifically. It was kind of all about how she'd interact with Luke. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I remember that being a source of frustration <laughs> as well <laughs> for quite a long period. So it's like, yes, if you get it, there's going to be lots of content with Ray and Luke. Now, what else happens with Ray? Um, and yeah, I think when that shift finally happened in the autumn, that was like quite seismic. It's like, wow, it's really happening, isn't it? And yeah, I think again, I'm speaking for like quite a niche aspect of the like fandom at this time you know it's mainly the Raylo side but it was a good time to be a Raylo I think there was lots and lots of great content coming out so yeah I enjoyed myself they had to get people ready for that trailer because we were not ready oh my god that trailer so so good I still watch that trailer it's a masterpiece oh yeah it's beautiful it's a piece of art all by itself isn't it And really the main thing is that like end stinger where you get Kylo reaching out his hand and it's framed in such a way where you think that Ray is about to take his hand, basically. And it was an absolutely like earth rocking moment <laughs> in fandom, basically. Like I just remember watching that at like five AM in the morning and I could not believe what I was seeing. It was so exciting. How about you, Kirsty? What are your memories of seeing that for the first time? I remember watching it like live on TV. I was actually watching the football to make sure I wouldn't miss it. And I remember shaking. I was so excited. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I just couldn't believe that ending that they'd like gone there so blatantly at this point, you know? Yeah. Of course, now that we know it's Hux's hand, it's, just, <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> Yeah, like I just need to explain that for people. So it's just too good to skip over. But there was lots of pushback to the idea that Ray could possibly be tempted by the idea of taking Kylo's hand. So some people, presumably Kylox shippers, but I'm not sure, suggested it was actually General Hux's hand. And there were some quite detailed explanations of why it was actually Hux's hand. I think it was some people were, su- yeah, suggesting that it was Hux reaching out to Kylo, like they would be teaming up something (laughs) oh no it's just so absurd in retrospect isn't it like i think basically it was anything but raylo that was the attitude people could see the writing on the wall people were very rightly pointing out that it was clearly like ray wasn't talking to him in the same scene as it cuts because of course she's not she's talking to luke yes the effect was clear (laughs) what they were trying to suggest with the story and throughout that whole trailer it's building up to it, right? That you have this like connection between them, because you ha- you have Snoke talking as well, right? Yes. Um, about the light and the darkness, and when he found Kylo and and all this, so it really builds up a narrative very well. Yeah, I would say it's also impressive because there's no real misdirection in that trailer. It's very straightforward about this is what the film is largely going to be tackling, um, and yet it's very forthright in that way, which is awesome. I think the only way in which it's potentially slightly misleading is that it doesn't show you really anything from the Finn or Poe strands. You do see a very brief flash of Finn fighting Phasma, but I guess they were very clearly focused on telling that thematic story with Ray and Luke and Kylo and Snoke 
like which does make for an awesome trailer it's all very compelling but yeah it doesn't quite reflect the fullness of the movie because of that focus yeah definitely i mean i I guess with all these kind of trailers you can't there's 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 a lot going on in this movie with all of those different subplots but i do remember being disappointed that we hadn't had a huge amount of rose at this point and since this was like the last official footage that we'd get before the movie i was like oh, i just want to see more of rose and what she's going to be like yeah no because we did see kelly on the promotional circuit and she was such like a nice like bubbly personality you know and she was clearly so excited to be in star wars that yeah it made me really excited to see her and i honestly remember being very relieved when i saw the actual film and i realized yeah they were being up front is a really big significant important role because i think after the trailer i kind of questioned how much she was actually going to be in the film but yeah i didn't need to be worried on the basis of that yeah i guess it makes sense to mark it on the the characters that people are already aware of and invested in at this point exactly yeah and while that is a criticism like it really doesn't take away from how much i bloody loved that trailer (laughs) it was just extraordinary Right, okay, we're sorry to leave people in suspense, but it really feels like we have to wrap it up here, so we've been going quite long, and also, hopefully invisibly to the listener because of editing, I'm experiencing some connection problems. Um, So yeah, we're going to cut it short here, and then reconvene next time to wrap up the discussion, and yeah, talk about revisiting The Last Jedi, and how we felt about it when it was first released, and perhaps most interestingly, how we feel about it now. Um, that we have some distance from it and have obviously seen the sequel. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we really hope that you enjoyed this discussion and yeah, we really look forward to finishing it off next time. Anything to say, Kirsty? Yeah, I'd kind of forgotten how much there would be to say about the middle chapter because you're kind of talking about the reactions to the first movie and then you'll be going into how it plays with the third movie. So a whole lot of stuff happened within those two years from fandom. Yeah, um, but hopefully this has been entertaining for people who either were there or weren't and are kind of new to all of these various gates and controversies this is the point where we actually lost Kirsty for good in this recording so in the absence I will close things off so I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918 and you can find both of us Kirsty and I at Scavengers Horde And yeah, until next time, bye!